I'm Rita Knox. I'm an assistant professor at NYU, the Center of Esophageal Health. And today we're gonna to talk about eosinophilic esophagitis. So eosinophilic esophagitis, or EOE, is a chronic local immune-mediated esophageal disease. And it's, it's characterized mainly by clinical symptoms related to esophageal dysfunction and histologically by an eosinophil-predominant inflammatory pattern with pathology showing at least 15 eosinophils per high power field. Now, EOE as a distinct entity hasn't been around for that long. It was first described in 1993. Um, and earlier guidelines defined it as esophageal dysfunction with the exclusion of other disorders and recommended a therapeutic trial of PPI for six to eight weeks in an effort to distinguish the distinct entities of GERD and EOE. But ultimately, this focused mainly on the premise that GERD was the only esophageal disorder that could respond to the acid suppressing ability of a PPI and considered GERD and EOE to be mutually exclusive disorders. But then in 2011 came the introduction of a new disease phenotype, PPI-responsive esophageal eosinophilia, or PPI-RE. These are patients with EOE features who achieve clinical and histologic remission on PPI therapy and not necessarily associated with GERD. And all iterations of guidelines for EOE have systematically maintained a PPI trial as a diagnostic criterion since PPI RE and EOE were considered distinct disorders that had different responses to a PPI trial. But most recently, since these 2011 guidelines, there's been mounting evidence demonstrating that up to 50% of patients with features of symptomatic EOE respond to PPI therapy. And this basically calls into question the value of a PPI trial and highlights that PPI-responsive esophageal eosinophilia and EOE are almost indistinguishable from one another and are different than GERD. And in fact, EOE and GERD can actually coexist. So the main change to take note of in these most recent guidelines is the retraction of the term PPI responsive esophageal eosinophilia and the consideration of PPI therapy, not as a diagnostic criterion for EOE, but rather as a therapeutic agent. So making a diagnosis and managing EOE starts with establishing a diagnosis on endoscopy in patients with suspected EOE. And these are patients with esophageal dysfunction and symptoms like regurgitation, vomiting, dysphagia, or heartburn. And endoscopic findings that you may see include rings, exudates, linear furrows, edema, or strictures. And typically, these are thought of as a part of the EOE endoscopic reference score or the EREF score, which is helpful to report on an endoscopy report because it can also track treatment response. And on histology, we find at least 15 EOs on high power field, ideally taking four biopsies from the proximal and distal esophagus. And remember when you're assessing a patient um, to consider if they're already on TBI therapy at the time of an endoscopy, because this could limit um, or decrease the yield of uh, your, your pathologic specimen. So we think EOE progresses from an inflammatory state, which ultimately leads to fibrosis and stenosis. And the ultimate goal is to minimize inflammation due to fibrostenotic changes and strictures, which we know have been associated with a longer duration of disease and a delay in diagnosis, particularly in older adults. So when we think of treatment, um, it's typically thought of as, as the 3D approach, diet, drugs, and dilation, with the choice of 
um, treatment strategy depending on the disease phenotype, either inflammatory or fibrotic, and patient preference. So drug therapy can include PPIs, topical steroids with either budesonide or fluticasone, and dietary therapy with an elimination diet. And you can also consider dilation. And when we monitor response to chosen therapy, um, we do this with an upper endoscopy six to eight weeks after treatment has begun. So if you're using a PPI, you would typically use omeprazole um, at 20 to 40 milligrams twice daily or an equivalent to omeprazole um, for PPI for induction. Um, and then it's reasonable to actually consider the minimal effective clinical dose after you reach histologic remission. With topical steroids, we use fluticasone swallowed puffs twice a day. Now it's important to go through this with the patient because although it comes in an inhaler, it's a swallowed substance. We can also use oral viscous budesonide preparation, which consists of mixing one to two milligrams of budesonide with five milligrams of sucralose or something similar. Um, and when you use doses for induction, you can use two to four milligrams a day in divided doses and then maintenance, you can use one milligram BID. Now it's important regardless of which topical steroid that you use um, that you need to tell people to fast at least 30 to 60 minutes after they take the medication because there's a strong association between esophageal contact time and response to treatment. Now let's talk about dietary therapy. And this typically includes a six food elimination diet, which excludes milk, wheat, eggs, soy, nuts, fish, and seafood. Um, and this can produce about a 70% remission rate in adults and children, but it's limited by the large number of endoscopies after each individual reintroduction. So this could be a, a pretty expensive and arduous process for people as, or for the patient, as every time you reintroduce a new food, you do an endoscopy six to eight weeks later. And it's important here to note that milk, wheat, and eggs are the most common causative foods found after reintroduction. And because we know this, it's reasonable to start with a two food elimination diet, eliminating perhaps milk and wheat, and then stepping it up and reintroducing more foods throughout the process. And a two-food elimination diet can actually produce a remission rate of about 40%. And this can substantially decrease the number of endoscopies that are needed after each individual reintroduction. Dilations are really critical in fibrostenotic disease, but they don't affect eosinophil-induced inflammation. So it should be accompanied by medical therapy in order to diminish esophageal mucosal inflammation. Now down the pipeline, there are biologic agents that target specific parts of the inflammatory cascade in the esophagus of EOE patients. And these include targets like IL-4, 5, and 13, but they're still underway and they're not the mainstay of therapy yet. So stay tuned. Thank you.